Hey everyone, welcome to a special holiday edition of Ask Shane Anything. Now normally, the way this show works is that people who pledge at $7 or more per month are the only people who can ask questions. But because this is a special holiday edition, I decided to open up the questions to all of our patrons and not just those who are pledging at $7 or more per month. And everyone will get to watch this. Now, you're just coming off of Christmas. It was like a day or two ago. I hope you guys got all the games, all the systems, all the gift cards, all the stuff that you wanted, and you had an amazing holiday season. Whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, I don't care. I just hope that you've had a great holiday season filled with amazing times with friends and family. I am about to get out of here. <laughs> My wife is already gone. I'm here by myself right now. My flight leaves tonight at like four in the morning. Um, tickets were so expensive. That was like the only flights I could afford. So I am cutting it close. I am coming in hot for holidays on the East Coast, but figured I'd get in this Ask Shane anything for you guys before I take off. Now I'll say this, you guys gave me a ton of great questions. I'm probably not gonna spend as much time on each one because I still need to edit this episode and get it ready for you guys. And so I'm short on time. So I'm gonna try to be brief with the questions. Let's get straight to them. Our first question comes from Sifted from Derek D. 111. If you were in charge of all the video game publishers, what dormant franchise besides Tribes, LOL, would you bring back to life? Well, you were right to provide that caveat because Tribes is the one franchise that I would definitely bring back if I could, only for it to flop again because all you people would reject it, just like you did with Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which had jetpacks just like Tribes. So, while I would love tries to come back, I don't think it's all that feasible because you guys have rejected it over and over again. And you're wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, there are tons of other franchises that haven't been revived yet, but most of them honestly haven't been revived for a reason. Um, it's really hard to think of an IP that people actually care about that hasn't already been revived or someone hasn't tried to revive it or they put out a poll to revive it and there was no interest and so they just decided to just completely bail on the idea. However, I think most people would agree that the Legacy of Kane franchise is one that people would like to see come back now. I wasn't a gigantic fan of that franchise, but for whatever reason, that seems to be the one everybody requests. And in fact, there was just a poll um, that the IP holder posted and the response to it was very positive. So my guess is that one's already coming back. Um, so I'm not going to dive into that one because I feel like that's the same answer that everybody gives and it's one that you guys would expect. Again, not a huge fan of that franchise. Now, there is another old franchise that I am a fan of and we haven't got a game in it in a long time. It would probably need to go through some major tweaks, but that game is Onimusha. Um, it's a product of that PS2, PS3 era where game development wasn't quite as expensive and so you could afford to develop games that would sell maybe a million copies or a little less and still turn a profit on them. You can't really do that anymore, so I don't know if Onimusha is a smart project for 2022. It would have to be completely revamped and redone, but I do think there's a place in the market for a high-quality, big-budget, Samurai Slasher. Now, I think we've already seen that proven with some recent games that people are interested in, provided the game is of high quality. So I do feel like we, it could provide a nice competitor or maybe a counterpoint to Ghost of Tsushima. Tough to expect it to top Ghost of Tsushima, which makes it maybe a little bit of a tough sell, but Ghost of Tsushima is going to come out once every four or five years. A new Onimusha could be sort of the game that comes in between every 
four years, but in between the entries of Ghost of Tsushima. So if there's one franchise that I'd like to see revived that I haven't heard about being revived or hasn't already been floated, it's Onimusha. Our next question comes from Sifted from Jaylin. Have you ever created content that, for whatever reason, you decided to cut and have never been released to the public? Do you think you'll ever show the stuff that Pactor says outside of Pactor Factor? How much stuff do you work on, but it never sees the public? Okay, so um, one of the first signs, to me, as one of the leaders at Game Trailers, that something bad was about to happen was we had been working on a project for months, literally months, that called the top 100 games of all time. We had held, I don't know, 10 meetings already, and each of those meetings had been like two hours long. Um, we had already worked on a ton of scripts. We had basically ranked all the games, which was a monumental task. Um, so we had burned so much time on this feature. It was supposed to be one of our big tentpole pieces of content that we did for the year that we were going to go out and get sponsorship around and hopefully turn a nice profit on it. Uh, things were shaping up great. Everything looked good. We finally had settled on the actual rankings for the games, which again was a huge struggle. And then <laughs> Mr. SVP, Eric Flanagan, who was not a part of Game Trailers or Spike, he was like the head honcho above like all of MTV Digital. So he ran, ran Game Trailers, Spike.com, ComedyCentral.com, MTV.com. He was basically like the head of digital for Viacom. And he came in one day and just said, you guys aren't doing this anymore. We're cutting this, we're killing this, and you guys aren't doing it. He didn't go and talk to sales and marketing to see if they were getting some hits on it for sponsorship, nothing. He just decided that we weren't doing it. And the reason he decided that we weren't doing it, we found out a week later, was because he wanted us to do some absolutely crazy crap, like create a GT motion channel, if you remember that, which was like this motion controlled channel on game trailers. It was literally all just games for motion controls. It was targeted towards like moms and dads and kids. And we knew it was gonna be awful. And we knew no one was gonna care. And he forced us off of the top 100 games of all time to start working on GT Motion. And then his second thing was, hey, everyone's traffic is going down now, except for Kotaku's. And this was when like, IGN, GameSpot, everyone's traffic was just in free fall. So was ours. Basically, YouTube was kind of taken over and the gaming websites were losing a lot of the traffic that you would get for people who just wanted to check out game trailers. Um, and so everybody's traffic was falling. And he said, well, the one that isn't is Kotaku. And so we need to do what Kotaku is doing and we just need to start a news blog. And thus, Side Mission was launched. Again, another failure that we knew was gonna be a failure because Eric Flanagan gave us one employee to run a competitor to Kotaku. So we knew it was gonna bomb, it did bomb, GT Motion bombed, the rest is history, Game Trailers folds. So the biggest thing I ever worked on that never came to fruition wasn't because it didn't turn out good or we didn't think that people would care about it, it's because some big wig just decided to kill it out of nowhere for two projects that we knew were gonna suck and they did suck, so yes, there are some pieces of content that we create that we don't run, although that is very, very rare because the people who are working on the content are people like you. We love games just like you do. And generally, if we love a piece of content, then we know other people are going to enjoy it as well. Now, I would say this, as time has gone on, that has not been the case because as we've seen, like the younger kids, they're okay with like low production values. They really just care more about like the person who's on camera, not necessarily what they know, 
Just whether that person caters to them, makes them feel like they're a friend. There's this weird psychology behind like influencers and stuff like that that kind of throws conventional wisdom to the wind. Um, so I would say that, you know, probably in current times, we've launched 20, 30 different shows on Sifted. Very few of them have got traction. So I think the difference is that we're willing to kind of put stuff out there now and see if you guys like it. And if you don't, just stop doing it. And we have done that over and over and over again with Sifted. Because as it turns out, all you guys want are podcasts after podcasts, opinion pieces after opinion pieces, or let's play stuff. So it feels like any kind of features that people do nowadays, they're just immediately rejected. Anything that's actually produced anymore, people tend to reject, or they, it seems like they want to reject it. Even if they like it, it feels like they're like, well, this isn't what people do anymore, so I shouldn't like this, and so I don't like it. There's this weird attitude anymore in content creation around games that have kind of changed things a little bit. But for the most part, stuff that we create, you end up seeing, except for one exception, at Game Trailers. Our next question comes from Patreon from Morris Fager. And I will say this, opening up the questions to the people who do not pledge $7 or more per month, we got a lot more questions from people on Patreon. So good for you. With all the hard work that you've poured into Sifted over the years, have you ever felt that's enough and thought about throwing in the towel? If you were to leave Sifted, do you think you would still want to work in the industry in some capacity, or would video games become just a hobby for you again? Oh, Morris, I have thought about throwing in the towel dozens of times. I can't even tell you how many times. The first time was after the beta, and I'm not kidding, after the beta, we had a great beta, tons of you guys signed up, and then the day came where you guys needed to pay. And when I woke up the next day and saw how many people were actually willing to support us, I was devastated. It was so low. I can't even put into words how distraught I was. I had worked for like a year and a half or two years and spent, and this is the first time I'll ever say this, had spent $50,000 to build Sifted and a lot of people didn't care. A lot of you don't, still don't care. A lot of you people on Patreon right now still won't go to Sifted. I have no idea why. You use this god-awful website that's all around me right now instead of going to Sifted, where you have this community of people who are just like you, who want to talk about games with you guys. Go! Go to Sifted. I built it for you. I built it to be this oasis for you guys where you don't have to deal with jerks like on YouTube and on Twitter. Like, the heavy moderation makes sure that trolls don't last long. It's, I, anyway. So, yes, I have thought many times about throwing in the towel. That was the first time, literally, the day after the site launched, I was like, oh, this was a huge mistake. Maybe I should cut my losses now because I had spent so much money. And you didn't, a lot of you guys did not care. So I was devastated. I literally cried for like, I don't know, 30 minutes. And my wife was like blown away. She's like, it just launched. I was like inconsolable. So yes, I have thought about throwing in the towel many times. The second time I really considered it was when we got robbed and we lost all our stuff and like, Half of the internet was accusing me of making it up. Like, at that point, I was like, why am I doing this for these people? Why did I spend so much of my money to build something for these people? And they're accusing me of faking a robbery. So yes, that was another time. And then it's just moments since then. Like, you know, this last year has just been awful. Like, financially, it's just, it's been the worst year of my life financially. Not just with Sifted, like, period. Like, you know, when you're a teenager and you work a dumb job, like I worked at a gas station, I worked at a record store, like your expectations are like, whatever. It's like, if I make enough money so I can buy my new skateboard or buy this new album that's coming out next week, I'm cool. Or if I can go to the movies every Friday night, I'm cool. You get older, you start your career, you get into your career, 
expectations change. I was a vice president of a Fortune 500 company. And to go from that to what I've been doing now, I'll be honest with you, my wife is really the warrior. She is the one. Like When I doubt myself, she's like, come on, pick, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, keep going. But even her tone has changed now in the last like 18 months because we, we're making no money. None. So I can't even tell you how many times I've thought about throwing in the towel, honestly. Like just dozens. Like I said, when I first started answering this, it's just been awful. <laughs> Nothing has like gone great. I cannot, I've been working on Sifted for like, it's been running for like six or seven years. I worked on it for like 10. I can't remember any wins. I can't remember this moment where I'm like, hot damn, something worked out for us. It's always bad news. We launched our Patreon. It didn't hit what we wanted to hit, but it was so close. And from that day forward, it has just been a steady decline downwards. And maybe that's my fault. I don't know. Probably is my fault. I don't know who else I can blame it on since I've been doing everything, but that's the problem. I have to do everything because I don't have any money to have people help. So yes, I have thought about throwing in the towel many times. Our next question comes from Patreon from AJ Watson. What is the sweet spot for releasing DLC? And if a developer waits too long, does it hurt the game or interest in the DLC? Thanks for all you, Matt, and the Sifted community do. Happy New Year. Same to you, AJ. And I just want to let you know I appreciate you because you participate in every Ask Shane Anything. You always ask questions. And it's frustrating sometimes when you do this and like you get three questions or whatever. Uh, but yours is always one of them. So much love, man. You're amazing. Now back to your question about DLC. Um, I think what's been proven, I think maybe CD Projekt Red just proved this with Cyberpunk 2077, is I don't think DLC can come too late. <laughs> I mean, we're getting like the first real meaty chunk of DLC for Cyberpunk 2077 a couple years after the game launched. Now, it's an anomaly because it launched in such bad shape and CD Projekt Red has stuck with it and made it so much better over time. It is a unique story in the games industry. So maybe it's not completely fair to base my answer upon that. Because generally, if a game wasn't that well received, the DLC doesn't matter. But if a game is great and everybody loves the game, I feel like people will wait forever for DLC. Look at Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Still DLC coming out for that, although it's about to finally end. But the DLC carried that game through a full year of not having a new Assassin's Creed game, something Ubisoft has not done in forever. So I really don't think that there is any hard and fast rule for DLC. I think it all depends on how much people really liked the base game. Or in the case of a game like Cyberpunk or even Marvel's Avengers, where people weren't completely happy with the end product, I do think that people look to see if the game is improved before they decide to get on the DLC train for that game going forward. So in general, I don't think there's any real rhyme or reason to when or how to release DLC. I think it's all dependent on the base game and how well it's received or how well it's not received and the perceptions around all that. Our next question comes from Patreon from Steve. What would it take to recreate bonus round or a bonus round type show? Well, for those of you who weren't around for the game trailers days, bonus round was a show where we would bring in three industry luminaries like developers or executives or whatever to sit on a round table show and basically answer a handful of questions in each episode. And what, how it worked was we'd bring them in, we'd shoot pretty much all day, and then we'd put like four episodes in the can and then roll those out across the month. So we'd record them all in one day, kind of like how we do Pactor Factor. Record them all in a, in a day and then take that content and publish it every weekend. And it was usually every Saturday or Sunday we published bonus round. People loved it. 
The problem is it was so expensive because we were paying to fly these people in from Seattle, from San Francisco, from New York, all these different places. And some people were in LA and that, that was helpful, but it was very expensive. There was a lot of, of logistics involved. A lot of the time we'd end up with one person not showing up and that's when I would appear on bonus round or that's when we would call Pactor and be like, hey Pactor, can you make it in for bonus round tomorrow? So Pactor and I were kind of the people who would jump in at the last minute and fill in if somebody fell through. And if you watch bonus round, you may be saying that seems crazy because you're on it all the time. Well, that's right, because people were always falling out and weren't able to make it. A lot of times the developer would be like, I'm there, we'd buy them airfare, and then at the last minute, they'd be like, something's going wrong with the game and I can't leave. I need to stay here and be a developer. And we'd be like, okay, well, we'd have to eat the cost of those plane tickets. So it's very expensive. You also need a nice studio to shoot it, but you only shoot four days a, a month. So is it worth it to have a really nice studio just to shoot it for that amount of time? Really, the, the hurdle is the cost. And the logistics are kind of a big part of it because bonus round was an anomaly and developers were on board because Jeff Keighley was the host. And game trailers, I mean, we were like, you know, I don't want to toot our own horn, but we were kind of like godlike at that point. Like we had come from nothing to challenge like IGN and people were like, holy crap, like no one thought this would ever happen. So for whatever reason, developers and publishers and people in the industry wanted to work with us and would kind of bend over backwards to do stuff with us or for us, um, at least for a, for a couple years, three year period of time there anyway. So even with that, you know, it, logistically and financially, it was just hard to do. And, it, and then each episode would do like 70 or 80,000 views. We didn't make any money on bonus round when you figure out the ad rates and that, you know, every ad view is like one of one tenth of a penny or whatever. We could never turn a profit on bonus round, but GT was making so much money in other ways that we could eat the cost of it because it was, it was a prestige play. It was one of those pieces of content you do not because it's gonna perform, but to create conversation around your publication so that people check out all your other content and you're kind of validated in the eyes of people like you. So. Bonus round was an anomaly and it was only possible because we were owned by MTV and we basically had a blank check and we had our own budgets and I could decide what I wanted to do with our budget. It wasn't somebody else telling me what to do with it. Um, and so I controlled the content budget and I kept shoving money at bonus round. And a lot of you guys loved it, but a lot of people didn't watch it. We'd put up a review for say Grand Theft Auto 4. It would do like 1.6 million views in like four days. And then bonus round on that Saturday would do like 80,000 views. So it wasn't a moneymaker. And I think that's why you haven't seen people do it. Um, I'm su still surprised you haven't seen someone try to do it, but that's the reason why. Our next question comes from Patreon from Jerry Gonzalez. Do you see a game trailers reunion in the future? Are you interested or have you truly moved on and you're not looking back to the past? Would you be open to an Invisible Walls reunion? And this also comes from on Twitter at Archivist42. Yes, I'm totally open to it. I still love all those guys. You know, it, I'll be honest with you, one of the biggest regrets that I have um, working on Sifted is that I've kind of become isolated from a lot of other people because I don't work with those people anymore and they're doing easy allies. Well, at least some of them still are. Uh, a, lot, a couple have moved on. Um, but I still love those guys. They're like my brothers. Like, you know, I try not to use war analogies because there are people in my family who are in the military and I don't feel like I've ever gone to war. But to use a statement a lot of people use, I went to war with those people so many times and came out the other side bloodied but unbowed. So yeah, they're like my brothers. I would love to do an Invisible Walls reunion and get together and do like an episode with all the folks from back in the day. Um, I don't know if they'd be willing to do it. I really don't know. Um, 
they don't really keep in touch with me at all, which is a little, it hurts a little, I'll be honest. Um, I don't know why, like I send them all texts on their birthdays. No, they never reach out to me on my birthday. So I don't know, maybe they don't like me. <laughs> maybe that's the truth of it all, I don't know. They've never invited me on Easy Allies for anything. And I don't know why. I fought for those guys for like eight years to get them raises and stuff and I don't know. I feel like they've just shut me out of their lives. And so I'm open to it. I don't think that they are because it doesn't seem like they'd be interested in working with me in any capacity. So I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading things wrong. I'm not going to assume that that's the case. I'm gonna keep sending them text messages on their birthdays to wish them a happy birthday um, because that's just who I am and I still love them and I wanna wish them a happy birthday. So regardless of how they feel about me, I still love them. And um, I would love to do something with them, even permanently. I would love to do like a once a month like get together or something like that. But again, I don't think the problem is on my end. I think it's on the other end. Our final question comes from The Champ on Patreon. Do you watch many foreign movies in their original language or do you watch the movie dubbed? I ask this because a lot of people give some Japanese games a negative review because of the bad voice acting, but those games are motion captured by Japanese actors for the original language. Shouldn't the game be reviewed in the original language? Here's the thing, the champ. Um, that would be giving Japanese games a free pass. That would be letting Japanese games off the hook for something that we hold other games accountable for. So sure, I hear you. They mocap faces with the Japanese language because they're Japanese developers. One, I would argue that's really dumb because the Japanese market is literally like a pixel and the, the Western market is the whole TV. So first of all, I think developing games specifically for the Japanese market is dumb and a huge mistake. But secondly, if I were viewing games in Japan and I, my native language was Japanese and I was playing a game that was made in the West and they did not do facial animation and mocap for the Japanese language, I would dock that game. So. The people who work at any of the Japanese publications, they have every right to dock a game that's coming from the West if they don't do mocap for the Japanese language. And I have the right to do the same thing here in the United States of America. If they're not going to make a game and go through the effort of mocapping it for my language, that's a ding. So I get what you're trying to say. Like, it's not fair. Like Japanese games are getting dinged. No, it, it's, it's a, either a lack of budget or a lack of motivation or a lack of vision. They don't, they're not seeing that the Western market is actually bigger than the Japanese market by so many magnitudes that maybe they should be creating games with the English language first. And I know for some people that's gonna be sacrilege. I don't care. It's the freaking truth. All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. And that's it for Ask Shane Anything for 2022. I wanna thank everybody who has pledged at $7 or more per month this year. You guys are the reason this show happens. And I wanna thank all of our patrons for all your support this year. You guys have been incredible. And I wanna say in closing, a lot of things that I've said in this episode aren't targeted at you. You guys did see the vision. You guys did see what we were working on and you have supported us. And I just wanna say, I love you guys very much and I appreciate you more than I can ever express. I really hope that you guys had an amazing holiday season. I hope you got all the stuff that you wanted and I hope you have an amazing New Year's as well. One thing though, make sure that if you drink, you do not drive. I'm not just saying this, I have had two friends die in drunk driving accidents. It means a lot to me. So if you're gonna drink, get an Uber, get a designated driver, do not get drunk and drive on the roads and have a hell of a good time. All right, we'll see you guys 
in 2020.